Take care, everyone. Take care. Welcome to Minute 16 of the Awake Minute by Minute podcast. I'll be your host today, Chris, and with me are the usual suspect, Priyank and Mike. Priyank, Mike, hi, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Well, it's all evening, isn't it, for you guys? So, uh, how are you both, Priyank? How are you today? Very good. Had quite a busy day. Took the car to the mechanic and lots of being stuck on the bus. Oh dear, on the bus. COVID friendly, I hope. Mm, yes. <laughs> Just about my car. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very good. I didn't have such a busy day today. I came back from Italy last night. So, Tell us about yeah. your retreat, your spiritual retreat. That was very nice. It was uh, mostly devotees and we rented a Catholic monastery uh, near La Spezia in Liguria. And it was great because those are Catholic monks, but they keep asking us, what are you doing? Like, uh, <laughs> when we do energization exercises, they're like, what is this? And like, are you sure this is Christian? Or like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and but they're lovely and um, it's very simple. Um, and all the rooms there are very simple, but they have like a five star view. Like it's like the best place ever to have a monastery. And Were they like- a very good vibe. Were they like, why is there a bright star appearing in the middle of your forehead? I just... <laughs> yes, yes. And they asked me, like, can you show it to me? And I was like, yes, yeah, sit down on a tiger skin. No. <laughs> you're, you're bringing them the white dove. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but very uh, it's, it's very nice. Very good experience. Very good. Very good. Well, welcome back. You're, you're quite the traveler. So, um, yeah, we, we actually have one of your kin on the... Uh, on the on the first part of this minute and we have we have a great um, great minute to talk about it. so we, we, we can really delve in to it because uh we'll we'll have plenty plenty of content here to go over um so so the the start of the minute really we have a, a lovely image of uh, sigmund freud and uh, it looks like um there's a clipping of of a news article uh taken and it's on display here for us to read uh, and the headline, I'll, I'll read the headline, uh, really, it's uh, talking about religion doomed, Freud asserts, uh, and says how we must, uh, uh, it, it is at a point where it, we must give way before science, or religion must give way before science. Um, and I thought, Mike, you know, you, you might you might know this guy, he's, he's one of your kin, isn't he? Uh, he's very, you know, Austrian, so uh, what, what, what do you know about Sigmund Freud, Mike? Just, just because I'm in Vienna. <laughs> yeah yeah related, i mean uh, it, i think that that was also something at at this time the religion was losing um i mean it wasn't just then it was already happening hundreds of years before but religion had really lost a, a big parts of the society and most of the people who considered themselves intellectuals were not religious and mm -hmm. sigmund freud when he made his first strides into what he then called psychoanalysis and psychology, um, he found out about the mind, about the subconsciousness. Um, he then thought, religion doesn't talk about this. How come we figure this out and religion doesn't? And maybe that led him to saying that religion is at a point where it must give way to science. Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of how, how I, how I, how this made sense to me. I mean, we can, there's so much more to say about this because later on in the movie, they talk about 
why Guruji named his talk Science of Religion and stuff. So it is it was badly needed in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And um, why did why did Freud leave uh, Vienna? <laughs> <laughs> why did why did he leave your home talk? Yeah, that's part of our dark history that um, we don't talk about. No, I'm kidding. We do, <laughs> we do talk about it a lot. Yeah, he. he yeah, he was Jewish, and um, he left Vienna in 1938 because he didn't feel safe anymore. Right? That, mm. that was uh, for the best, I think. So he, yeah. I think he went to London and then later on to the States. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. Priyank, maybe you know what he was most famous for, some of, some of his teachings, do you? Yes, uh, I often mock my wife and my brother-in-law <laughs> for a classical, classic oibidus Oibidus complex of the you know Freud's theory where secretly you know sons have a secret desire for their mother and daughters have a secret desire for their father or a subconscious one and it manifests in various ways that's his most controversial and complex uh, psychoanalysis I think theory it does manifest I think in quite a lot of families similar you know he's a mama's boy or she's a daddy's girl it kind of is like a it's a cliche, but I think it has some some strange basis to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's very very complicated, isn't it? The, the workings of the mind and to my favorite subject, you know, going to the yugas and everything. I've mentioned yeah. it every every single minute. You know, All right, you, fine, Chris. We have to do a special on, on yoga. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Let's let's do it one day. This is this is like an endless ream of content in the yugas. Uh, the holy science is like a podcast uh, in and of itself um but uh you know it, it does strike me like he's one of the four um front uh, minds on on trying to take the part of the mind of the buddha the intellect and to try to dissect things in in a way in the western world certainly and um it was actually uh nietzsche, nietzsche if i'm pronouncing the name Correctly, Mike, you're, you're nodding, you're good, nodding. Yeah. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. It's actually Nietzsche, just to kind of read this out quickly. Um, you know, what was happening at the time was this was trying to, you know, um, break down the concept of, of God. And uh, Nietzsche said in the 1900s that God is dead, God remains dead, and, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? Uh, what, was holy, what was holiest and the mightiest of all that the world has yet owned? has bled to death uh, under our knives. Who, wipe, who will wipe, this is quite graphic, who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatest of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? And I just thought this was really timely and worth noting here because, um, you know, Varun Sunny uh, is, is speaking here. And of course, Varun is a guest of ours on the podcast. And, um, you know, anybody who has listened to it, it's well worth listening. Um, he, he does uh, speak here after this image and he says, Western philosophers are, you know, talking about the death of God. Uh, and and Yogananda comes at a time uh, to uh, reconceptualize God uh, and the divine. So, um, I, I, I thought, uh, I thought, Mike, here's a hospital pass for you. What is the conceptualization <laughs> of the divine? What, what do you think Yogananda really is trying to do here? I mean, maybe it's, uh, it's good that you added the yugas to this conversation because they might help explaining this a little bit. So in my mind, it is like 
we came into Dwapara Yuga, um, and this is the age of energy, among other things. And so now um, our science suddenly starts making strides into all kinds of directions. We figure out electricity or steam engine electricity, telephone, radio, radar, all kinds of cool things. And um, Western religions, they, they don't make strides like that. They don't, um, they, you don't see the difference between now and then basically. And they needed, um, they needed um, what is a good word for it? Maybe some, some uh, push to um, progress into the future. And, and it looks like this push was just not coming. And so the science was just um, feeling this makes no sense anymore. We cannot say um, we're scientists, but we also say religion makes sense because right now it doesn't. There was a, there was a dissonance. Um, the, and um, hence, it, someone like Yogananda comes and, and tries to bridge the gap again in the West. Mm -hmm. and, and Priyank, what, what's your, if you could conceptualize God, how would you, how would you do it? Yeah, I think, I think this, this concept in the East has always been there, i.e. the multifarious and the personal, it, you know, the, the visual, the visual, the way you imagine God is a very personal choice, a personal inclination, but reconceptualizing the Western image of God, you know, the, the father, you know, the heavenly father that sits up there amongst the clouds in heavens and judges you. I think that 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 really is the reconceptualization that we're talking about. And, you know, we you, again, we mentioned the yugas and we're talking about Freud and his revolutional theories on you know consciousness and he's the father of modern even to this day of psychology isn't he so that reconceptualization for me is really going back to that 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 form of it form of the divine that is most appealing to you personally so for me personally i i personally visualize god to be in a formless state of of satchit ananda you know ever conscious ever existing ever new bliss consciousness so that that that's how i see it and i think that's what that 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 means in, in this context that context that varun sonia is saying and that's really that's a universal that's a universal um way to kind of attract devotees from around the world not just india but around the west isn't it mm -hmm. yeah there, there's definitely a, a a thirst for more knowledge isn't there coming out of the 19th century there's innovation happening all over the world and really if you think of religion you know why should that not be innovative as well you know why should the concept of god not be innovative and and, and evolve uh, with our increased understanding of the nature of reality you know and i think that's to my mind that's what this brings you know yogananda is talking about it in different different uh, language in different different ways and helping people to get closer to God. I just wondered, you know, what text did Yogananda really have on trying to understand the mind as the Western, you know, um, uh, I suppose scientists and psychoanalysts would have, would have uh, put it. Um, do, do, we, do we have much in the way of text, you know, with the Yogananda talking about the parts of the mind and different aspects? Because I know he tried, he kept it simple, didn't he? He talked in very plain terms, but are there, are there any texts out there? 
So the, in the Gita, he talks about all the different layers of the mind and memory and all that kind of stuff. Interestingly, you should mention about the books that he would have been exposed to or read, because I, I was interested in that question. And, you know, the, the last convocation in 2020, we had, we had we were privileged to have a virtual tour, <clears throat> virtual tour of his rooms and residences. And I actually paused it on his bookshelf. <laughs> I don't know if they've retained like that bookshelf, but he had various, you know, Bibles and translations of the epics, Indian epics and things like that. So uh, I had a got, I had a mission actually to write down all those books and just at least browse through them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty epic. What, which ones stand out to you? Yeah, so he had a couple of translations on, on, the, on the Bhagavad Gita and the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. Which is, I've, for example, I've got a very long copy of um, uh, uh, Ramcharit Manas. It's called of, uh, of the Ramayana. But there's there's two or three translations or uh, orators that uh, I don't know. Are you guys familiar about the Rama of the Ramayana? Not massively, no. No, the so Ramayana. Mike's nodding. Mike's nodding. Mike is familiar with most things in life. I know. That, I know that there's like multiple stories of the person who wrote it and stuff like that. Yes. And it's the story about Rama, right? Yes, Rama. So he's considered um, one of the incarnations of Vishnu. So he's along the same sort of incarnation lines as Krishna um, and the other of other saints and gods that have come been you know, come to India. So yeah, so it's about the the life and and the pastimes of, and the and the um, so the teachings of of Rama, God Rama. Pretty epic. Um, there's there's so much text out there that sometimes I think that you know you just have to put these things under your pillow and then hope you know in your astral form at night you you find time to read, to read them when, you, when you're dissolving again. You know I, I I'm curious about this you know and, and not to go into this in too much detail but I do find it interesting about the aspects of the mind and the human mind and um, you know I think that um, we'll, we'll uh, begin to rationalize this more and more as uh, as, as we go but uh, it was found um, on Sadhguru's site and I'll, I'll throw this in for just uh, context that there's 16 dimensions of, of the mind fall into four categories of the buddhi, manas, uh, ankara and chitta so uh, Priyanki mentioned, mentioned the uh, aspect of chitta I think uh, there so the buddhi is the intellect, the manas uh, is the huge silo of me uh, memory uh, that's all across the body. And the ankara is the sense of identity, the ego, and then the chitta is the cosmic intelligence, which I suppose is where we all want to be. You know, chitta is the last point of the mind uh, and it connects us to the basis of creation uh, within us. So. I guess that's where in meditation we might go, but I just thought I didn't include that because um, in my short amount of time that I did on the research, I I didn't um, go know exactly where to go for Yogananda's text on this, but uh, interesting nonetheless. So shall we shall we move on? Um, enough enough of Freud. Thank you, Freud, for popping into the into the uh, documentary. It's called cool, cool He's smoking a cigar. He is, isn't he? In that picture, and he's got his, like he's got his pocket yeah. fancy pocket watch. Yeah, yeah. looks so pompous. He's looking very dapper. I think that's the word. Uh, <laughs> that's probably that's probably better. <laughs> I was 
That was 1920s Dapper. Yeah, yeah, that's 1920s swag, isn't it? The, yeah. the very, very well um, trimmed goatees they seem to have. He's doing the people's there. eyebrow that The Rock does in WWF. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can do it. Could you smell yeah. what the rock is cooking? Yeah, I can smell it from there. Yeah, a friend, a friend of mine can do both, which I find you know, very Ninety-nine percent of the people won't understand this joke. <laughs> They're going to be like serious devotees. That I no, the hell is, why are you talking about WWF? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, cool. So, so we have Brian Sonny appearing, talking about the reconceptualization of God, and that was what Yogananda was doing. At a time when God was was um, disappearing from the conversations, really, and then we have um, some imagery coming up with our good friend Phil Goldberg, who is also a guest on the podcast or has been a guest on the podcast. So do check that out. Um, talking, and I'll, I'll mention some of the some of the images that pop up because they're quite quite fun. So you have um, people that they look like they're in a church. They're dressed in their Sunday best. You know, they've got their, their hats on and suits and dress, the ladies wearing dresses. Uh, and then you have uh, a lovely picture of Yogananda. And I'm guessing he is on a train here, uh, as seems to be a reoccurring theme in the in the documentary. And he's looking very peaceful with a, a very gentle smile. And in fact, I think this picture, is, this image has been used before, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he's looking out the window, very gentle, loving smile, he obviously enjoying himself. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, so we have um, Phil Goldberg then talking and he's saying how significant it is that Yogananda's first lecture in America was the science of religion, not Hinduism, because using religious terminology in the Western minds would place his offerings in a box, uh, but self-realization, oh, yoga, oh, those are universal. So that's, that's what it says. So. Mike, maybe you can expand on this a little bit for us. What, what does he mean by putting offerings in a box? Why would he put Yogananda's offerings in a box? So um, I'm guessing also the 1920s, they were not the time. I mean, those, imagine it's 1920s and someone creates an organization called the Congress of Religious Liberals, which means they are not super hardcore into their sect of Christianity or what they're doing. They are, they try to like look everything from a little further above and they try to see commonalities between different, different sects of Christianity maybe, or even different religions. So those are, those are like the, the, the liberal people of America when it comes to religion. And then mind you, this organization was only created like I think 1900 right so this is a this is a new thing and then um when you when you now come and say um I'll, t I'll teach you about Hinduism then and you are like I don't know Christian or whatever right the I feel like then you go like okay you tell me about your religion that's great I have mine we respect each other in my mind, I don't care about yours, you don't care about mine, we are friends, all good, right? And um, and I feel like um, Yogananda was trying to break through those images and those ideas and say, I have something to say, not just for Hindus. I have something to say for everybody. That is a universal truth. And, and then, call, and I guess he was very clever, um, like Phil Goldberg says. 
um, naming it the science of religion and calling um, itself realization, because that was something that could be applied to Christian traditions or Hindu or anything else. I feel like that's where it's trying to go. Mm -hmm. Priyank, would you, would you agree with that? Yep, especially on the subject of that talk, the science of religion, because a lot of his talks and the way he writes in the autobiography of Yogi, he always links, he always links spirituality to, to the science. And he was, in many ways, his language and his terminology and his descriptive way of linking the two was decades really decades ahead of his time wasn't it whether that shaped the way science and spirituality became in terms of how it defined itself and how it talked about various things like meditation and you know the link of the mind and regrooving channels of you know neurons in the brain and stuff all, all the stuff that benefits the benefits from meditation um we, that probably we can't know for sure but certainly it would it would logically feel like it does and we you know we, we take if you if you take the lessons for example um that, that same same thing applies there doesn't it it's not just it's not just um you know do's and don'ts it's really a scientific scientific every every lesson is a scientific emphasis on how to transform yourself and that must have you know th those seeds were there from literally his first landing and his first talk in america and i believe that the science of religion i personally haven't read the talk but i think you can buy the the little pamphlet which the talk was wasn't it mike i don't know if you, have you yes. either of you read it i think so no what? mike um uh, no nothing comes to mind no but i imagine it would be along the lines of everything that we we do study and that perhaps listeners mm -hmm. can uh, listeners can fill this gap for us in our vacant mm -hmm. knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the vast empty space, which is <laughs> <laughs> The void. The void. Yeah, uh, cool. I, I, I think that's pretty, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll agree to my part. I find it funny, actually, even today, you know, if you're talking about, if you use the words science and yoga in the same sentence, yeah, and I have done um, to, to actually a family member, uh, you know, and, and uh, the retort was, well, you know, yoga isn't a science or you know that this isn't a science then the, the response is more or less stating that a science must be a hard science of physics or math or whatever it might be but i think the the beautiful discovery of, or rediscovery is uh, more along the lines of repeated method uh, that can can bring about a specific set of results and that by definition is scientific method isn't it doing something uh, repeatedly and having others repeat repeat the process so um, yeah, it's it's awesome that he's really cracked that, and it's really aged well, hasn't it? Because you know, in this day and age, it's it's more relevant, if anything, because science is almost a religion. I would argue in some people's minds, not itself. You know, um, you're getting so, into yeah. hot water for this, Chris. But yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know, <laughs> Scientology. <laughs> I'm jumping, I'm jumping, but um, uh, no, it's, it's, it's awesome how, how well this is aged and, and I think um, mm -hmm. how, how significant it must have been for people to hear that back uh, over a hundred or a hundred years ago, yeah, over a hundred years now. So we have an image of Yogananda standing, you know, full garm, 
he's got the um, the head turban, and he's surrounded by many sort of old white men. There's one Asian guy, uh, and they're you know they're wearing suits and ties, very well dressed, the goatees and white mustaches and things like this. So they're looking very um, typical of the 1920s, uh, uh, I suppose middle middle class man as, as such. But um, th these gentlemen are uh, part of the International Congress of Religious Liberals. Am I right in saying, Priyank? I think you know a little bit about this image. Yeah, that's that's all I know. So it was obviously 1920. So the, the, these would have been no doubt his peers when he was delivering uh, his his speech at the Congress, and the other religions, as we talked about, are represented here in this in this lovely image. Mm -hmm. So these, you know, I I actually looked this up. Um, I googled it essentially, and to try to find out a little bit more about them, who they are. Um, shall I share I think, the? Um, shall I share it? Well, no. Th there's there's a couple of things here, but before we do share, uh, there's a very first um, known photo uh, of the SRF. Um, I did want to say a little bit about this religious liberal yeah. group. Um, so when I when I searched it, I, I found the International Association for Religious Freedom, the IARRF. Um, whom I think is the same, is the same body. So on their site, you can see it's quite an interesting organization and really cool that Yogananda was able to pick them out uh, because I'm sure he didn't, you know, they don't have Google back then. So uh, he obviously was in the right circles. Uh, so they're the world's first international interreligious organization. They promote and support the work of individuals in the cause of religious freedom. So they wish to foster a personal commitment to action in everyone. So the IARF organizes a Congress of its members every four years. It was founded in 1900, and they have a century plus history of encouraging tolerance and interfaith um, encounter through dialogue and social justice projects. And really that's needed now, possibly more than ever, uh, which is fantastic to see other organizations out there promoting this. Uh, not just the SRF, I would, I would argue. Um, so yeah, since um, since founding in 1900, various faiths and traditions have been represented in their groups. So uh, yeah, it's it's very uh, dis multidisciplinary um, group. So I, I thought I'd share that. That's that's who he is standing with. Uh, so pretty pretty epic that he's representing, flying the flag for uh, religious tolerance and acceptance. Uh, so yeah, uh, very nice. It's information, but also, as we know, he in the same year of 1920 founded the Self Realization Fellowship. And we do have an image uh, that Priyanka can share for us. Um, and it is the first known photo of the Self Realization Fellowship, uh, where Yogananda is standing with a group in America. Is it this so, one, Chris? Oh, no, it's um, so if you go in there and then it's the first, so second, second um, one, yeah, yep. and then it's the first image that shows, yeah, there you go. So, this is the very first uh, known photo of the SRF, and we have uh, really here uh, Yogoda, sister Yogoda, um, here with uh, others. Um, she's standing to his right hand side, uh, wearing the hat, I believe, there. Uh, or is this her, sorry, to the left, is it? Left, yes. Uh, I don't know, actually. You can tell Sister, me. Sister Yogamata, right? Sister Yogamata, uh, Yogamata yeah. And then um, Dr. Uh, and Mrs. Lewis on the far left. 
Uh, and I believe we have a couple of cool stories to share and talk to this. So why, why don't we kind of jump into that quickly um, under who, who Dr. Lewis is and a nice short story to share. Yeah, so Dr. Lewis, Dr. and Mrs. Lewis, they were amongst, as Chris just mentioned, amongst the first kind of devotees of Yogananda. And no doubt they um, they were very important in the formation and the you know the development of self-realization fellowship because no you know they, they were obviously eminent eminent people in their own circle, but also they um, they would have supported. We know from Phil Goldberg's um, biography of Yogananda that they you know they off Yogananda through his decades in America often liaised with um, Dr. Lewis and gave him personal counsel and no doubt he was therefore a devotee. So here in in Phil Goldberg's um, biography it, it talks about Dr. Lewis and it says um, here it says. Uh, as Sri Yukteswar had once told him, Yogananda told his new disciple that he would take charge of his life. So Dr. No Dr. Lewis did not know what that meant, but he later recalled, at least I felt it was all right, so I acquiesced. Yogananda leaned, leaned forward and placed his forehead on Dr. Lewis's. The student's mind quieted. Then he reports, he told me to lift my eyes and look to the point between the eyebrows, an internal gaze at the Agna Chakra. There appeared the great spiritual light of the spiritual eye. The experience persisted, deepened, brightened, and finally Dr. Lewis saw the little silver star in the centre, the epitome of the Christ consciousness. And then, after a pause, the great light of the thousand-rayed lotus the most exquisite thing that can be seen. Understandably, the long-time seeker was overwhelmed. And Yogananda then describes further the, you know, his relationship with um, you know, his, his student there. But that was at the very, pretty much at the, one of the very first you know, meetings and liaisings in, in 1920. So he's mm -hmm. quite a privileged soul to be, um, to be given that really so no doubt he would have been a devotee from past lives and done a lot of work to warrant such a experience so easily mm. attained seemingly easily attained in this life just by happening to happen to going to one of yogananda's talks and meeting him after the talk and all that kind of stuff but no there's mm. there's no doubt a hidden you know meaning and divine plan that, that was laid out for him yeah, there's probably some history there, no doubt. Yeah, it's uh, not just luck. Um, I, I do have uh, something here to share as well. So in, in the late 1920s, it was not long after Yogananda had arrived in America. Uh, the uh, yeah, Yogananda was speaking at the uh, Unitarian Church in the Boston area. So that's where Dr. Lewis's longtime friend, uh, Mrs. Alice Hizzy, aka Sister Yogamata, uh, was a member of the congregation. Uh, so, um, Sister Yogamata uh, said um, to uh, Dr. Lewis um, that he, she should that he should strongly meet. Um, she suggested that uh, strongly that he should meet Yogananda and really introduce the two of them. And uh, I thought it was nice. I, I did read online on the Yogananda site 
um, WordPress said uh, when Yogananda uh, Paramahansaji uh, first saw uh, Sister Yogamata in the church, um, God told him she's the one who will start the center. So very, very nice. Yeah, I, I have a, a bit of a, a, a little story there because I, I went to Boston in, I believe, 2019. And uh, obviously one of the stories um, in the autobiography is the story with the strawberries, right? Where Guruji, first he doesn't go to Kashmir, then he does go to Kashmir. And then when they go to Kashmir, they buy strawberries on the roadside and uh, Guruji tries them. He's, he's in, the, in the carriage with Sri Yukteswar and Guruji tries them and they're a bit tart and he's like, yeah, I'm not a big fan. That's not my thing. And then, and then um, Sri Yukteswar tells him, you will like them in America um, and you will say what delicious strawberries. And, um, and then Guruji, of course, says like, no, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Sister Yogamata, like you said, Chris is the devotee. They used her, one of the first disciples he had in, in Boston. And they used to do meditations at her house in Somerville, Boston. And um, uh, when I went to Boston, I was lucky to uh, meet some devotees there. And one of them lives in that same house, um, Nine Lester Terrace, where Sister Yogamata used to live. And the interior looks a bit different now. But um, of course, the, the strawberry story happened in that house. So when, when Guruji came years later to, to Boston, um, they saw they served strawberries there with like cream and sugar and he tried it and he said what delicious strawberries and then he instantly had a flashback <laughs> of of his time in Kashmir mm -hmm. and yeah that and uh, that, that was kind of um one of the things that happened in in that house there and that's um when I was there we had strawberries as well of course because that was the fitting occasion do you think, do you think Freud would describe that as an actual deja vu <laughs> Maybe it is like I mean it is like a, a deja vu, um, and then later on you come there and reenact it. It's like tri triple deja vu. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see what Freud would have made of the autobiography of a yogi. Um, <laughs> so lovely, very nice, um, and we we uh, we move on to to what is uh, an awesome. Um, in inclusion by the uh, editors uh, of, of The Awake, uh, which is Yogananda speaking. And um, there's some, some great shots here actually uh, of the auditoriums being packed. And you know, there's, there's a couple of pictures actually of different angles of auditoriums being packed out and Yogananda standing at the front door in the crowd in his full garb and you know, everybody else is very studious, you know, looking up attentively to him. And they're in, it's either in Detroit or Denver, New York. I, I think there's probably a couple of different, a couple of different locations here. Um, so yeah, we have a really awesome uh, audio that we can play of Yogananda, uh, and I think we'll play it now. Greg, um, are you? Brain and the brain are the altars of God. That's where the electricity of God flows down into the nervous system into the world, and the searchlight of your senses are turned outward. But when you will reverse the searchlight through Kriya Yoga and be concentrated in the spine, you will behold the Maker. 
Awesome. Thank you. Well, has anybody ever told anybody who's not a devotee that God exists in your spine? Have you ever tried to say, say something like that? Because really, you know, what you're going to say in here, you know, to repeat it back, you know, um, to paraphrase, it's talking about the, you know, the spine and the brain are the altars of God, right? Electricity uh, from God flowing through the nervous system and into the world, uh, reversing, or, uh, you know, usually the spotlights of our minds are um, looking into the external. And if we reverse them, uh, we can concentrate on the spine and behold the maker. I mean, tell me what, go Mike. I mean, the language today exists much more than it did in Yogananda's time. So a lot of people today that do yoga or they do Kundalini meditation or something like this, which a lot of people know about. And then they talk about chakras, right? And then we just tell them those chakras are like the seed of God within us, in our body. And boom, mm -hmm. you're there. So I feel like it's, it's a lot easier now to, 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 to tell people that than, than it used to be in the 1920s. But I, I see what you mean. And, and also, not everybody is that liberal. Like, there's definitely, if I tell this to my grandma, she might not, she might not um, know what to do with it. Quite a significant statement, um, Priyank. Well, you know, where, where, do, you, do you recall where you were when you first heard these these words or these types of words or this being said in this way? Do, do you recall any any kind of moment when you were first on the SRF path where this idea came to? It was actually interesting. You should say that because I'd obviously naturally I come from this tradition where. Uh, you know, you, you look inward and all that kind of stuff to, for, for divinity. But really, it was only after I read the autobiography of a yogi uh, and then subsequently registered for, for the lessons that the the reason for doing it crystallized. And it's sum, summed up so well in, in in that little clip that Yogananda just, just said. It was, so, it was such a powerful few lines, wasn't it? I feel like that, that that's the kind of thing that he would have said in the auditoriums back then. No doubt, literally, anyone that had their eyes open would instantly shut them and naturally, you know, put their gaze to the Christ consciousness center or, you know, the middle of the eyebrows. So, yeah, so for me, it was only after reading the lessons and the autobiography that this really the reason for doing this really came into my experience. Mm -hmm. And what, what would you say to somebody who's, uh, you know, hearing hearing this um, for the first time, doesn't quite know what it, what it means, you know, Mike, you, you made a pretty good effort actually there uh, to, to try to translate that, that was pretty, pretty impressive. Um, where, where would you where would you direct somebody, you know, what would be the first sort of text or first thing that you would recommend that they do? I mean, you, you, I feel like you do need a little bit of, um, you need to be a, a bit open and you do need to believe that there is, um, like if, if you don't like anything about spirituality, if you have a very material mindset, then um, it will be very hard to explain this to someone in my opinion. But if someone is already 
in their mind at least halfway there and you just need to open one or two more doors um then it's it's easier um because the like i said the language is already there and uh, some people for example i i recently started watching a, a show on netflix that is about near-death experiences right mm -hmm. and they obviously if if they are true and i do believe they are then we are not this body we are a soul wrapped in a causal body wrapped in a astral body that can leave this body and still lives on and then can reincarnate and um, when you believe that then you might as well believe that we enter the body through the medulla and and like the uh, the life force enters the body through the through the medulla and is in the brain and in the spine and from there goes to the nervous systems i feel like like once you believe one part of it you have to believe all the rest of the <laughs> ways to make sense yeah and, and to your yeah. point craig um yeah. you, you mentioned there uh about uh, hinduism and how that is uh quite um uh along the lines really of, of looking internal uh, but it's very, very different from the audience that he would have at the time. If you if you look at one of the one of the images, I think it's um, minute fifteen forty seven, when he's standing in this auditorium and and it's you know see white faces of you know white Christian I'm sure uh, backgrounds Protestant uh, most most likely uh, that faith is entirely different. I know a little bit about it coming you know having come from there when it, when I was very young, and it was more really what was in the Bible and, and the teachings, teachings of compassion and friendship towards, um, towards others. Um, but but Hinduism, Hinduism is very unique in, in that sense because it kind of gives you the key. And you know when I was watching this um, minute, I actually drew a little symbol of a key because Yogananda in this sentence gives you the key to knowing God. And it's a, it's a real, it's as close to to that as I can really see from other religious texts. Is that is that your uh, reflections on, on that as well? Right. Yeah, and if you also if you interestingly we were talking about the spine and the link with Christianity, but if you read the autobiography of a yogi, there's lots of references, and I urge you to read the notes, you know, the small notes. Um, at the bottom because there's lots of reference cross references to the bible and here we're talking about the spine and there's a lovely cross reference to a, a biblical passage about the seven stars and it's in the bible it makes absolutely no sense in the context of what's being said but with reference to what we're talking about here and the spine and the altar of god and the chakras that we we know about then it makes absolute perfect sense so the link is no doubt there and it was known in christianity and by jesus christ but he talked in a different language because that 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 terminology as as what mike said wasn't at that time wasn't there was it and it's yeah it's interesting talked in a different language dif different to what it's different to the understanding of the peoples of the time so they don't understand the ideas behind the words you know he mentioned electricity the electricity of god uh flows through the nervous system these i these understandings that's that that wasn't common 
to many people's minds as it is today, right? So even today, it's funny, Phil Goldberg earlier in the minute said um, how uh, Yogananda um, was using words that were universal, you know, self-realization and, and yoga. But really, I have to correct him. They weren't universal at the time, were they? In the 1920s, how many people would hold up their hands and say they, they've heard of yoga, let alone they know what it was? I think you're right, but but I feel like they, they might not have been so popular yet, but they were like just discovered recently. Mm-hmm. And so people who are now maybe into new things like, I don't know, AI or into, into DNA manipulation or something, they might back then have been into electricity and might have thought, how will electricity change our society and mm-hmm. those kind of things. And then comes along Yogananda, takes all those terms and gives them a spiritual meaning. Mm-hmm. And I can see that there must have been definitely a, a section of society that, that was super interested in this because uh, this combination of uh, science and uh, spirituality made sense for them and made them, made them feel like this is something great. Priyank, you're holding a, yeah, so looks the, like a, a book. It's interesting because I've got, you see, like I keep notes in my in my copy of the, the Bible, which is quite an old copy. And um, this is uh, obviously the, um, the it's, this is an illustrated one, actually. This is the K- King James version that we were told to, to use. And um, the chakras element that I talked about. So here I've got different... Um, different things like the senses and uh, the, yeah, the chakras. So here I was telling you about what I was just telling, I'll quote what I said now for real. So this is in um, John, uh, John 1. Revelations, right? The Revelations, okay. yeah. Revelations yeah, yeah. of St. John. And it says, <clears throat> on number four, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And then it goes on, and it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So this this is a direct, direct, like, kind of like cloaked, description of like the the worship and the ascent through the chakras to the highest chakras that we're talking about in the old the god and the altar of the spine mm-hmm. my mind i don't know why i'm programmed this way but uh, my mind goes to some conspiratorial ideas of how much of the word of jesus was edited out of of the bible because it was written like was it 200 years or something crazy after his after his death so how many, how many nuggets of information back then there would have been um, that would have been revolutionary? Well, yeah, we, it, yeah, oh, yeah, go, go, go. Yeah, so we don't, I, I obviously asked that same question. And um, well, we're privileged to have the Yogananda's, Yogananda's second coming of Christ, right? Because mm-hmm. he he says in, in that book that um, this, this it isn't just conjecture, he's, he's speaking with from experience and revelations that have been given to him and meetings with christ so we're privileged that he can he can actually you know take take what's there and take the essence and what 
is real and what you know what actually happened and we've got that in a condensed form which is 2000 pages but it's still a condensed form compared to the bible i suppose mm-hmm. yeah and he he um added the gospel of thomas which is not part of the king james bible um and he did use the king james bible I, I was wondering before the second coming of christ came out which version of the bible he would be using and he was using that i'm guessing also because it was very very widespread um and he added also this super interesting section in the beginning in the in the his foreword or um introduction about um this russian scientist uh, notovich who did research on on the on Jesus Christ's time in India. Um, and that was also super interesting. So the second what, coming. What did he say? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, not verbatim, but it basically um, starts out by saying that, that Jesus, the Bible talks about Jesus when he grows up. And then it, it jumps to him returning to Jerusalem and the, there's like um, many, many years in between that aren't talked about. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, there are, there's a Saint Issa in India at, at, that is being talked about in, in different books in India. And then there is um, apparently in Pakistan somewhere a place where uh, Saint Mary is buried and things like that. And so he, they basically tried to explain this by saying that he, when he was 18, he left uh, Israel and went to India and then met some great masters there and then came back. Mm-hmm. Epic. Yeah. My mom's a strong Catholic and I, I was reading the, uh, you know, the, the book, The Second Coming of Christ and, uh, on, on Jesus and uh, immediately it caught my mom's attention. But <clears throat> I think, uh, yeah. Uh, she would need a, she would need a, a selfie of Jesus in India before she would believe in any kind of rhetoric that is is not mainstream. You should give her, you should give her the if she's willing. She give her the Yoga of Jesus, which is you know the thin mm-hmm. the, the very thin book, um, and yeah. that's got a very for a lay person or a, someone that's completely new to Yogananda. It's um, very mm-hmm. very good, very good. I think for yeah, a traditional Christian, yeah, much easier to digest than the Second Coming yeah, yeah. of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and um, sure. also in the second coming, um, uh, uh, the revelation section that Priyank is talking about, they didn't talk about it that much in there. And um, because like you said, they talk, they talk about the chakras and I, a lot of, there's a lot of symbolism in there that it's not so easy to um, un- decode, I would say, because it goes on later, right? It talks about seven candlesticks and yep, seven I've seals got it. that, I've got that it here. open. The next, the, the next cool bit is, um, oh yeah, they're here. I was in spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And you will know from some of our pra- meditation practices that um, uh, we're, we're listening for own vibrations. And um, and then the other, the other thing here is, um, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And mm. yeah, it goes on. Yeah, so it's awesome. fascinating, fascinating stuff in the context of Eastern Eastern uh, philosophy. Yeah, yeah well, the symbolism's more or less there, isn't it? And um, 
you know, the Christians, they have the dove, isn't it? The descending dove, mm -hmm. um, which is white and it tends to be backed by, you know, shimmering white light, which, you know, uh, is, they say that descends on, 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 uh, on man. And, you know, you could easily say that that, you know, you, you could take that as looking up at the point between the eyebrows and seeing the light descending. Um, if that eye be single. If that eye be single, yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, there's lots of similarities. Um, so so that's that's um, the content of of the minute, and um, we we have quite a quite a funny uh, little odd video of Yogananda playing at the very end of of uh, his speech that we just heard the audio clip of, and it's him kind of standing at hair down, you know, well well kept. It looks like. Um, uh, I have sort of long hair myself, so I can only appreciate how much time it took him to maintain the beauty of uh, <laughs> of that amount of hair. Um, so, you know, he's he's kind of speaking, isn't he? He's miming in in a sense. I think maybe this has been shown part in part yeah. before. Yeah, it has. So, so not this particular clip, but we previous in the previous minute we saw Yogananda and three or four devotees walking with him in New York and they used that footage for posters and other things to promote his talks mm -hmm. so but this one is again it seems to be one of those where um, he's trying to I, I think he's kind of acting that he's talking and he's then pictures are being taken of him and obviously moving pictures which would be used for promotion material but and they've been kept and it's a treasure Mm -hmm. Yeah, it? it is very, you know, seeing that for the first time, I wasn't even sure if it was real. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of double took and I was like, oh, oh wow, what? wow, that's that's pretty awesome that they have that uh, in there because it looks, it's the quality is actually quite good um, for that time. So thanks to them for having that. Um, what, what's, what's your feelings like whenever I first saw that, you know, I did double take to see, is this real because he's, it doesn't, you know, he's, he's really miming, isn't he? Um, what, what was your what was your feeling? Did it did it strike any feeling with you, Mike, when, when you first saw that? Yeah, I mean, I guess the foot the footage um, that we have from those days is not really that much, right? So you're trying to do your best to kind of deliver a speech with him in in the picture as well, right? Mm -hmm. And it's great. Like, um, I. I find that whenever you hear his voice, he's got this super booming, commanding voice, and then you see his picture. It works. It works for me. I, I I like the scene. I I, mm -hmm. I found this was um, a good a good delivery. It doesn't it doesn't always have to be like a perfect um, like um, kind of shot where you have everything. Um, you can also be creative like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are creative. Yeah. He's got he's got um, a real, I would say, boyishness about him in the picture. You know, when he's got a very childish, almost you know, um, playfulness uh, in his in his uh, face. You know, he's he's smiling, his eyes are twinkling, and uh, yeah, he's it's just awesome. I kind of feel like I'm there. You know, um, uh, when when I'm, when I'm looking at it. So. So as I said, that's that's the minute, and we want to keep this below the R, right, Jensen? I think we've actually we've done it for the first time in a while. I think got it under the R. So well done, well done, us. Uh, 
Any any last uh, bits that you want to add? Uh, anything you missed? Anything you want to go over, Frank? Um, no, I think we covered everything. Yep, Mike. Yeah, I, I didn't even know we would gonna we were gonna go to Revelations, but this is such an interesting topic. <laughs> that I hope it will come up in another episode or because this will be its own podcast as well at some point. So we can have you guys as a podcast, Revelations yeah. as a podcast. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and uh, ba Babaji and we had Babaji and who else? Uh, Beatles. 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 George Harrison, right? Steve Jobs as well, no? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Spin-offs. Spin For another time, another another lifetime, I think. <laughs> um, guys, Jagger, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Take care. See you next time.